This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. I regret to inform you you're on Chapel Probation, a podcast that takes a critical look at evangelical colleges and universities. I'm your host, Scott Okamoto. Greetings, reprobates. I'm back after a little break. I turned in my copy edits to Lake Drive Books, still shooting for April with the book. Uh, We had a holiday party at our house, and today's guest, Brent Walmsley, was at that party. I met Brent back in, I think it was 2019, through the Exvangelical Facebook group. He and our friend Heather Owens were having meetups in Southern California to create a space for people to process their trauma from their evangelical pasts. The three of us um, would go on to host a few different events at my house, I think in another bar, and it has remained the three of us. Yeah, it's tough getting people out in LA and Southern California. And then the pandemic hit. Yeah, let's not speak of that here. Anyway, we try not to take it personally that no one wants to hang out with us because we understand that gathering to talk about shitty evangelical pasts that we've moved on from doesn't exactly scream fun and good times, no matter which bar we go to. Brent was a super evangelical dude with big opinions and big ideas when he was in college. You'll hear about this. But even with all of his confidence and swagger, he couldn't shake the feeling that evangelicals, particularly in the denominations he was a part of, they were getting some things wrong. Like the other cishet white guys on this podcast, Brent thought deeply about the theology guiding his faith. And as we are learning, the deeper you think, the less evangelical you become. It's just math. Uh, my name is Brent Wamsey. My pronouns are he, him, his. Uh, I want to be identified as uh, Brent. All right. Or so Mr. Wamsey. Yeah, yeah. Well, so you're the first person I met in in person pre-pandemic from the whole like um, ex-evangelical Facebook group. Yes. Uh, yes. We, we had a met at with uh, Heather Brewery in uh, the valley. Yeah, and the three of us have pretty much held it down. We represent all of Southern California at even evangelical events because <laughs> nobody, nobody <laughs> wants to to come to hang out with us. It's I don't know. At I, least I in L.A. in Orange County, I had a small group we okay. were starting. But that's good to know. But yeah, in L.A. it was yeah you I and Heather. Yeah. So. It's there's something about us, you know. People, people online are like, "Hey, we want to hang out, we want events, so we we plan something, and then nobody comes, and then it's like, oh, well." The Southern California, Los Angeles, is a really hard place to organize people. Like, it's just it's it's such a big area. There's so you know, there's a lot going any, on. Yeah, yeah, a lot going on, and it just you know, to travel from point A to point B, it takes a long time. True. True. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
yeah, if they they see on their their feed like, oh, there's an ex-evangelical hang, um, and that immediately becomes like number eight on their priority list of things to do on a on a Friday night. Exactly. Exactly. But but yeah, I appreciate you and and you and Heather because you all kind of um, became faces for me uh, of sort of ex-evangelicals uh, from the Facebook group. So that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. So where did you go to undergrad? So um, we've had a couple of guests on that were on the same family of colleges. Um, I forget the one's name. She went to Vanguard. And then oh, you right. had, was it Tori uh, was Glass? Ashley. Yeah, and Tori went to Northwest. Yep. So oh, so um, they're all related? Yep, so those are both Assembly of God schools. So right. Tori went to, and I, I don't know Tori personally. I've interacted with her a couple times on Twitter. <laughs> so I don't know if I should be on a first-name basis with her. But uh, if Tori went to Northwest, I went to North Central. The assemblies will name their schools based on uh, where they're located. And, uh, uh, so North Central was in Minneapolis. Then there's Central, that's in Missouri. And then there's Southwest, that's in uh, Florida, or Southeastern, which is in Florida. Okay, Southeast, and, yeah. Yeah, I guess Vanguard probably should be called Southwestern. Southwestern. But, and then they have a school in Texas, and I think it's called. I'm assuming it's called Southern. I don't know. There is a Southwest. <laughs> there's a Southwest um, law school, uh, know, so maybe they had. So that's probably why they didn't compete. name it that. Yeah. So Vanguard. <laughs> so yeah, they called yeah. it Vanguard. Yeah, Ashley Dunstan went to Vanguard. Um, yeah, so I was listening so. to her episode. I was like, oh yeah. So <laughs> I feel like you know, as we were freezing in Minnesota, we were kind of like, oh man, there's a. Yeah, you could be There's in a, Orange County. I could be in Orange County, California right now. Yeah, so. doing the same thing. Okay, well, so does did it sound like this a similar experience? Like lots of Theo bros where Tori was debating in the cafeteria and uh, a lot of misogyny <laughs> that oh, yeah. Ashley faced in, at Vanguard? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, I, I, you know, I, it, I think it had all the things that they talked about. Um, I, uh, it was very, very rigid. Um, and I kind of, I kind of happened upon it. So, um, you know, as I look at, uh, you know, the, the kind of evangelical school scene here in Southern California, I feel like the two big evangelical colleges are Viola and APU. Yeah. Um, biggest biggest ones yeah and minneapolis the twin cities area minnesota is kind of similar where it has this one school called bethel which i kind of equivalent of apu and then it has another school right down the street it's kind of weird it's right down the road called northwestern which is it's not the one tory went to uh but it's called northwestern and it was started by like the same people that started biola oh Uh, so it's kind of biola's sister school. Um, so I feel like those are the two prominent evangelical schools in uh, the Twin Cities area. So like when I moved out here and started interacting with the evangelical community, I'm like, oh, this is kind of weird. Like you have like the slightly more conservative evangelical school and then the other one. Um, <laughs> and then um, and then like that same way, you know, Vanguard's kind of off in the corner 
that's kind of where North Central was. It, it was uh. just like another. Um, but I, you know, I, I grew up in, in, as most Minnesotans did, I grew up Lutheran. And then right. um, I got brought into a more, you know, fundamentalist evangelical. It's called the Evangelical Free. Um, yeah, EV Free, right? EV Free, yeah. And was, um, was your family into the Prairie Home Companion? <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> not really, not really. Oh, okay. But I families that were. I liked it. But uh, I, yeah. a couple of my closest friends went to Northwestern. I took a year off between high school and college. I interned with this youth ministry. And um, so a couple of my friends went to Northwestern and they both got in pretty big trouble there. I, I'm not going <laughs> to tell their stories, but they both got in pretty big trouble there. But enough students saw me coming on campus to hang out with them that I thought I didn't want to attend there um, because I'd already kind of walk in with a reputation. Yeah. Guilty by association. Um, yeah. So that was, so, you know, I, I started attending an assembly God church in the city that this youth ministry was at. And, the pastor and I connected and got along, and he said, well, I went to the school called North Central. It's right in downtown Minneapolis. You should look into it. I went down, visited. I said, oh, yeah, this looks fine. Um, and it was kind of cool. It was, right th- it was right in downtown Minneapolis, and you could, like, walk to – it was called at the time the Metrodome. Uh, yeah. It's where the Twins and the Vikings played. Yeah. So, like, we'd skip afternoon classes and go watch Twins games. Nice. Um, and uh, – but now the twins play at a different the target field. Target field, down yeah, much, the other much better. Everybody hated much better at the, at the Metrodome. Uh, yeah, no one liked the Metrodome, <laughs> but it was right down. I mean, you could walk down there easily. Yeah. Um, so what, that, were that you, was, what were you like? I was very bold. I was actually ready to joke with you about this. And in, in my my freshman year, in my intro to sociology class, the professor nicknamed me Rush Limbaugh. Oh shit. Uh, Wait, did he mean it? He meant it as a compliment, though, right? Uh, kind of. Yeah, I mean, it's just that I was very bold and very conservative. Um, so I started out, yeah, very, very conservative. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's weird. I think about like my path kind of out of being that way. And, um, you know, to me, it was, it was really. You know, I don't think there's anything like special I learned, or I don't think it was, you know, I talk about professors brainwashing you or anything like that. It was just you start reading, you start interacting with people, and your world starts opening up. Hmm. And so, um, you know, I worked at a restaurant also in downtown Minneapolis. And, you know, if, if you know anything about Minneapolis, Minneapolis is a very LGBT friendly city. Hmm. And so, especially if you're going to be in the food industry, I mean, there's a lot of people in the LGBT community that work in restaurants. So I got to interact with quite a few, you know, coworkers and all that. And it's like all these things I was being told about this community. It's like, well, this isn't what I'm seeing. Uh, You know, they seem like normal people to me and they seem like kind, decent, friendly, you know, caring people to me. And, you know, you hear the messaging you're getting from these evangelical communities. And it's like, this isn't adding up. Yeah. But, um, so, you know, I, there was something, though, partway through. I mean, this is where I'll age myself. Um, you know, I was in undergrad during the Bush administration. Okay, yeah, not that long ago. I, I You're his, still a young young lad. <laughs> I'm still a young lad. But the Iraq war thing, I was like, all right, I just, I can't be with the Republicans anymore. Um, I just, you know, I think I was with a lot of people. I felt really misled by him leading into that. Um but um 
we had so to do ministry in the assemblies of god you had to you had to believe what was called they called it the 16 fundamental truths and it's these 16 faith statements and you know a few of them are kind of your generic evangelical you know trinity or maybe jesus being god something like that but then they kind of got into a couple of weird spaces of you know well if you're going to be in christianity you have to speak in tongues and if you know and the one I actually wrote my senior paper on with a friend of mine um, was taking on the one they had on divine healing, which they said, you know, came with, you know, being saved, basically. Like, if you're saved, you should just be healed from diseases. And, you know, our whole senior thesis was just breaking that apart every which way, showing that that's not what the verses that um, they attached to it said. That's not what anything in church history said. That's not, you know... We even took a survey of pastors. It's not even what your pastors believe. I mean, we just kind of blew this fundamental truth out of the water and just showed that it made no sense. Hmm. And there were easily eight of them where I'm like, well, wait a minute, I have questions about this. <laughs> and the thing I found strange about it was, you know, it's, it's through the methods that they taught me about how to read the Bible, how to analyze theology, how to think, that led me to say this doesn't make sense. Um, but yeah, I reached the end of North Central and just kind of thought to myself, I am not, you know, going to be able to sign this thing from the assembly saying, I agree with this. And so, you know, I'm going to have to go into, you know, more evangelical circles where I thought things might be a little bit more open-minded. <laughs> and, um. Well, they might yeah, not be more open-minded, but they don't have 16, you know, rigid uh, uh, things to sign. Uh, yeah, they have their own rigid. I mean, yeah. that was the thing. I found it was just kind of... And it changes. Uh, something I should point out. Something my, so the thing, my, my school, North Central's most famous alum, is, you'll probably get a kick out of this, is uh, Jim Baker. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he's our most famous alum. Uh, Cast Tammy Faye <laughs> didn't go? Uh, she went as well. Yeah, okay. yeah, they both went, and they both... They got kicked out for getting married and not getting permission from student life. Oh, uh, so I guess yeah, back then that. you had to get from student life. Did she have high hair think, when she was a student? Or did that come later? We were students together. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> she was before my time. Yeah, no, that would have been the 60s or 70s, I would guess. Um, yeah, I mean, they were when North Central was first getting or I don't know, but it had been around for a little bit. I think Star Central started in like the 30s, but um, yeah, they were definitely there in the earlier days. But that was actually, you know, thinking about the theme of your show being tra chapel probation. I actually, I never went on chapel probation. Was it But mandatory? I skipped chapel all the time. It was mandatory. Oh. It was five days a week mandatory. And you were allowed to skip kind of the same as the other students have said, like your, or people you had on. You're able to skip X amount. But I would just kind of find ways to... Like, I'd sign in and then, like, kind of motion, like, oh, I got to run to the restroom real quick and just kind of leave. Yeah. Uh, and that was because we actually, you know, if you uh, have you been to Minneapolis? I have, yes. You know, I'm sure you saw in the buildings there, they have the Skyway system. Yeah. It gets so dark. Because so, everything's interconnected so you can stay inside and still go across the street. Yeah. So the way our chapel worked is we were connected to two Skyways. It was kind of, it was like the in-between building between the different academic buildings. So it's actually pretty easy to kind of like sign in on one side and then just keep walking and walk out <laughs> the other side. <laughs> uh, and so 
I kind of figured that out fairly early. Yeah, you would think they would uh, like, they would have like accommodated for that and um, put a chapel monitor in those skyways. Um, you you would have thought so, and I don't know if that was you know I think you know just because I was a big white guy, they kind of left me alone or didn't didn't want to didn't want to question me. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's, it's something I've wondered about how I did kind of get away with that because uh, that's the other part. Is I look at the way we did chapel. And it was five days a week, and they were an hour long. And it was, you know, I don't know. Like, I grew up, you know, attending Lutheran schools. So, it's like, our chapels would be maybe 20 minutes. Like, you'd sing a couple of hymns. A pastor would come in and say, this is a verse in a lectionary. Here's something to think about. Have a nice day. And that was it. Well, we had it five days a week where, like, you had the full worship thing. You know, people jumping in the aisles, dancing down the, you know, every down. And then you had this. Five days, and then you'd have a pastor coming in, and he was going to tell the sermon that was going to change your life forever. You know, yeah, every day. So I don't think every day. So I don't think at you know in nineteen or twenty, I quite had the reflection to say why I had a hard time with it. But looking uh, back on it, I think part of it was it was just emotionally exhausting. Yeah, you know, to have to come in yeah. and you know just have these very like emotionally heavy experiences every day, day in and day out. I just, yeah, it was too much. Really tw- getting your life changed twice a week would be enough. Five, five times. Is yeah. You think that's, that's a lot <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's what it is. By the semester, you're like, who the fuck am I? Like, <laughs> I don't know what I am. Well, I think that did actually happen. You know, and that's what I think I kind of look back on Pentecostal experiences or even when I talk to Pentecostal people and yeah, I think there is a lot of that. They kind of, you know, they'll hear some really emotional thing and then they'll, they'll jump to this new idea or to this new thing, yeah. you know, or God's leading me here. God's leading me there. And it just, it gets very, I, I don't know. Like, I don't want to say it about all, all of them, obviously that'd be, that'd be mean. But I mean, like, I think there is a little bit of that in there where emotions really drive things. Yeah. 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 Okay. And I'm sure they planned for that too. Um Oh Yeah. Well, there's a lot of emotional manipulation. Yeah. I mean, that's. Did you have Kurt Cameron come speak, or was he not like holy enough? Because um, <laughs> this was about the era. Uh, he did a lot of chapels in the early 2000s. It's possible. You did. Like I guess I skipped that some, one. And I wouldn't have been. I wouldn't have been interested in seeing him. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think who would be like one of the more famous. I, I remember the movie Jesus Camp. Yeah, I, I've only seen parts of it, but yeah. Um, but they had that lady who like ran that camp and kind of did those weird sermons that they had the kid worshiping yeah. George W. Bush. Yeah. She spoke chapel once. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. Like she was one of the more famous. I mean, it's usually just Assembly God pastors from around the you know Midwest area that would speak. Um, How big was that? So, like approximately, like it was small, twelve hundred students. Oh, okay, like uh, twelve hundred undergrad. Yeah, then when I went, there wasn't any graduate program. Okay. I think now they have a couple. Oh, yeah. They have like a passive leadership or something now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I attended there, they didn't anything. Ah, uh, all right. So, no, and I just, I don't know, like, you know, a story I often tell about just like kind of how the atmosphere of the school was. So, you know, our school also had some pretty strict rules about drinking. Um, and, you know, you and I met at a brewery. Uh, I, I clearly haven't followed that, but... <laughs> Uh, when I worked at that restaurant, I mean, that's what you do when you work at restaurants is you go out with your coworkers and get a drink after work. It's just, it's, you know, I'd say it's part of the experience. So 
you know, it wasn't like I wasn't out going out there getting smashed, you know. I'd go out with friends after work and have a beer or have a gin and tonic or something, and we would just kind of hang out for the night. In violation and, of, the, uh, of the rules of the school, though, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, I, I would have been in big trouble. And that was actually what I was getting at is that I remember one night we were at this little bar, and it was right by my work, and then it would have been about six blocks from North Central. And there was a friend of mine I had a couple classes with who was in there with someone else, and he kind of waved at me, and I walked up to him, and I had my gin and tonic in my hand. I'm holding a gin and tonic. You can't see me. I had a gin and tonic in my hand and I'm like, Hey, good to see you, man. And, you know, we kind of shot the breeze for a minute and then I, I walked away. And, you know, as I'm hanging out with my coworkers, you know, a couple of them start saying, man, that guy just keeps looking over at you. Uh oh. And so I get back up and I'm like, Hey, like, how's it going? Like, everything okay over here? And he got real sheepish. He got real quiet and he just kind of looked at me and he's like, you're not going to turn me into student life, are you? And I'm like, <sighs> literally holding the drink in my yeah. hand what they what, like, <laughs> what what would i say like while i was out drinking i saw you out drinking like yeah but i think there was a, a little bit of that like yeah that fear because that was that encouraged that would right? to turn people in that's what everyone yeah oh yeah goes oh, in oh, schools because i remember there was another instance where we were at another bar and the server came up to us and i mean her jaw like hit the floor when she saw me um, because I was very outspoken in the classes. Like every, everyone there knew who I was. Oh. And so I think he kind of like thought I was like this guy yeah. who was striving to be you know, this holier and thou preacher. And here I am like out drinking. And I was, oh. I, and I got a little nervous that she would try to turn me in or something, but she never did. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I guess I got away with that. I've talked about my own experience, which is really embarrassing, um, and how I learned that LGBTQIA people that I was taught were evil and would make me gay or satanic, they were just, in fact, people like me. If I could figure out how to get all Christians to find connections like that with their fellow humans on this planet, well, that's just fantasy, I guess. But people like Brent, despite being pretty deep in the conservative evangelical white world in Minnesota, somehow saw the truth. Now, I don't buy into the notion that alcohol or weed are gateway drugs that lead to, you know, harder drugs or some kind of degradation. But maybe in this case, food and alcohol at whatever restaurant Brent was working at were Brent's gateway into seeing his co-workers as fully human. Hell yeah, I'll drink to that. But that was kind of my closing experience there, though, and something you know I, I, I've reflected a lot about over the years, is um, my last semester there, someone started a website called the North Central University Gay Straight Alliance. And um, as you can imagine, our school just flipped out. Yeah. And said, you know, had to put out this very public statement that said, we don't have a gay straight alliance. Like, this is someone that just made a web page. Yeah. And the web page had uh, a message board. This is, you know, early 2000s when this stuff was just getting going. Yeah. And so I started an account and I put, you know, WALMS, W L M Z, uh, you know, which is I use for a lot of my screen names. It's my TikTok name. And just picked arguments on every thread about you know this issue and 
like against? So, uh, you know, I, by then I'd become pretty LGBT affirming. Ah, okay. So you, so you and, okay. Yeah. And, and I certainly just, I thought the, the arguments were just dumb and I'm like, this doesn't add up. And it's like, and again, like I wasn't necessarily aspiring to be some super liberal person. It's like this, just using some basic common sense, looking at these verses and using some basic context and everything else, like this doesn't add up. Yeah. You know, this whole idea to me that this became such a big deal, you know, and, and that was, you know, what started the group was, you know, the guy who had kind of started it had been kicked out of the school. He had as many credits oh. as I did because they found out he was gay. And I thought that's just so oh. inappropriate, yeah. you know? And so, I, you know, there's definitely, um, I don't know. Like I think about that cause I went on there and I debated Tons of people on it. And I remember one person said, we won't, you know, show who you are. And I'm like, can't figure out Walms is. Yeah. And people on campus. Yeah, give us a hint, hint, man. Yeah. And it's like, I was on the student senate. Like, I was pretty well known there. It's like, dude, if you, if you think people can't figure out who this is, like, that's on you. But <laughs> so I graduate. I know I need to, I can't stay in these assembly God circles. I need to expand. And so I really, my goal was to go to Fuller. Um, a lot of people have recommended it. Um, but my last year at North Central, my parents divorced. And so, um, it just, I don't know, my mom took it really hard and I just didn't feel right flying 2000 miles away. Um, when she was going through all that. So the school I had mentioned earlier, Bethel, I had kind of applied to just, you know, in case Fuller had said no. I wasn't anticipating they were going to, but, you know, in case they did. <laughs> and um, so I ended up saying, like, all right, let me just go there. And um, so I was hoping it would be a little bit more open-minded because, you know, I graduated in North Central. I found it very closed-minded. I found that you really couldn't ask questions or explore ideas outside of, like, the parameters they gave. Um but yeah, I found at Bethel it was it, 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 it was it was bad another way. Like maybe some areas would give you a little bit more leeway, but yeah. Bethel wanted to argue like crazy about like you know if women should be able to be pastors. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's one thing Pentecostals kind of avoided is because you know Amy Simple McPherson was one of the first leaders in Pentecostalism. Yeah. So. Pentecostals kind of have this weird thing where, where they'll say it's okay for women to be pastors, but no church will really hire them. <laughs> but <laughs> they'll say it's okay. Yeah. Versus more in the, you know, Bethel's Baptist General Conference was just like, no, women can't be pastors. They can't lead. Which I found just very hypocritical, or just strange because the women in my classes tended to be some of the smartest students. And so I thought it was a little ridiculous that these Theo bros were telling them, well, you can't be a minister because the Bible says no. And it's like, well, she's producing better scholarship than you are and seems to have <laughs> deeper understanding than you do. But I don't know. I mean, that was, uh, you know, I don't, if you're from like, you know, Minneapolis and Bethel, I mean, that was uh, John Piper, you know, was yeah. very influential at that school. Um, and a lot of people from his church attended that school until, I think they found it was too liberal. So then his church actually kind of started their own seminary. Um, and then you had on a guy with a very similar name, Craig Boyd. There was another pastor, Greg Boyd. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who was and, very prominent there as well. It's kind of weird. Like they were both kind of these pastors of prominent churches 
in the Twin Cities areas, and both were pretty prominent at Bethel. But huh. Piper, like, had uh, Greg Boyd fired. Right, because Greg uh, Boyd's Bethel. pretty progressive as far as Christians go. Well, yeah, and, like, the thing they're debating, which, you know, I just, as a theologian, I find it just crazy, is, um, you know, what does God know? What is God's foreknowledge? Or yeah. And it's like, we don't really know how the brain power of a human works. Yeah. You know, we're not entirely sure about that, but we're going to debate how the brain of the deity works. Like it just, <laughs> yeah. to me, it just didn't make any, but I mean, those two fought like crazy over that. Um, so, so is Greg but, Boyd also an open, open theist? Is that what's what it's called? Um, yeah. Don't, mm-hmm. He's kind of the, he's kind of the evangelical OG of it. I'd say. Yeah. Um, because Craig Boyd, my friend, is also an open theist. So, yeah, I think I think people would find that confusing because they'd be like both the Boyds. I know they're both. I remember that seminary. They have names that rhyme, <laughs> and they're both prominent open theists. Uh, <laughs> yeah, one of them and, needs uh, a nickname or a, a pen name or something. So, there you go. I like. I mean, because I got interested in it for a minute. These arguments and this idea, and then, like I said, I just I thought like. Oh, Dee's brain works. You know what I mean? Like it just, it, it just, I thought it just kind of felt like a big waste of time to argue. <laughs> it just so happens that I am the agent for both Craig and Greg Boyd. So let's try and fix this problem right here on Chapel Probation. So what we have here is two of the most prominent, highly esteemed scholars in what's called open theism are named Greg and Craig Boyd. Uh, No relation. So let's call one of them and talk about a name change or something. I mean, people do it all the time. You know, Kanye, uh, Diddy, uh, Bono, The Edge. Greg Boyd, Greg and baby. Oh wait, sorry, this is Craig. Craig, how you doing? Um um, that's pronounced Craig, not Craig. Craig. There right. you go. I'm making a note. Making a note right now. I'm your agent, man. I, I'm here for you. Just I checking know. in. Um, you would you yeah. would think after this amount of time you would know that. <laughs> that would not be a fair assumption, but okay. So, sales of the virtues. A very short introduction from last year, uh, with Kevin Timpy. Doing great. So. Keep up, keep up the good work. I do have a question. Your book uh, from 2018, Christian Ethics and Moral Philosophy, an introduction to issues and approaches. Um, it's $25, man, and there's not a single picture in there. So um, we're going to, for the next edition, I think we should add a centerfold. <laughs> I think okay. that could boost sales. Um, of I, me or, about that. or of someone attractive? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, something, you know, uh, tasteful, but sexy. <laughs> um, just putting it out there. Just, just you know, I'm here to help you. Thank help you. Me help I, you. I appreciate that. All right, just think about it. Uh, the last thing is, <clears throat> it happened again on the Chapel Probation podcast. Uh, someone was a little mixed up between you and Greg Boyd. So I think we need to we need to take action here. Uh, I'm gonna just hear me out. We change your name. So so, um, how about Jim? No, I'm I'm sorry. That's my brother's no, name, okay. and I don't think he would want to oh, be associated oh. with me. Okay, damn. Okay, Phil, as in Phil Boyd, Phil the Void, huh? <laughs> huh? No. 
Well, it no. sounds, yeah, I I don't like the void element, you know, that kind of gives me some okay. identity. Right. Okay, I got more. Um, boy, Boyd, some rhyme and alliteration there. Um, I, you know, I kind of like that. I, I kind of like that. Catch the youth. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll it, circle it that It does, um, but I'm, I'm not youthful anymore, so that's that's kind of a, you know, that'd be false advertising. Yeah, but it's books, and they don't know that unless we do a centerfold. Um, <laughs> But there's airbrushing, so. Um, Aloysius, I just like that name. It sounds philosophical, though. It 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 does. I'm, you know, I'm a little ambivalent about it, though. Okay, all right, all right. We'll, what we'll else do you have? That one. How about Greg? And then we just go with the confusion, and then both of you sell more books. You could both be Greg, Greg Boyd. Well, I wonder if if I may get sued by you know by Greg. That's you know, true. And I kind of like the budget. Book. I don't want to get into a George Harrison copyright kind of thing with my sweet oh, Lord. Okay. Thing, Fair you know? enough. <laughs> right. Good point. Um, speaking of music, how about Elvis? Um, there is a movie out and got name recognition. Elvis Boyd. It's got a ring to it. Well, let's circle back on that one, too. All right. All right. I'm, I'm going to circle that one. Jesus. Hmm? You're, um, you're a Christian. You're a good kind of Christian. Just go with uh, well, just go with the obvious. Two the, on the nose. You know, I think I'd be a little bit, uh, you know, leery of that, unless of course you pronounced it in the Spanish manner. Okay. And then I Jesus okay. Boyd. Okay, I'll, there you I'll, go. I'll, I'll circle that. That's one. a possibility. Uh, 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 how about other biblical names? Moses, Abraham. Hmm? Mm, no, I too much pressure. Too much Beelzebub, that might work, and it's also alliterative too. So, so I kind of like that one. It could shorten it to Beal Boyd. <laughs> okay. Okay. The laughter tells me maybe not Augustine. No, uh, guy's got too many hangups, and I don't need to add to my own hangups. Okay, fair. Feodor. Go sl slightly ethnic. Uh, yeah, Slavic. and. He also has other other issues, and I, you know, I I, I kind of want to avoid that one too. I think. Bill, as in Bill Boyd Baggins. Yeah, you know that's. Um, I, I guess that's better than Bingo, which was the original idea. I guess there, you know, for that name, but I'm I'm still a little reluctant on that one too. Maybe a little too much alliteration. Okay, nice, nice literary reference there. By the way, that was good. <laughs> Little inside uh, inklings info there. There you go, Admiral. Yep. Admiral, you go with name recognition again. Admiral Boyd. Oh, that's not bad. Uh, you can put that one in the top five. Okay, good. We got a couple. <laughs> um, I don't know. Do you have any suggestions? Well, you know, um, I, I think something that would be kind of both memorable and comic would be if I gave myself three names and you know floyd lloyd boyd that kind of has a ring to it it's going to be memorable and you know it's going to be it's going to be hard to forget you know quite frankly and yeah. you know it's very different than greg so yes it is i mean greg. Greg Lloyd. i mean these monosyllabic names you know that go you yeah. know it just kind of falls you know dead okay. from the top you know, and it's not it good, but down. Boyd, 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 you know, there's kind of a, there's a rhythm to it. There's kind of a, 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 a if you will. But when you do the three names, then you got, you're in the mentions of like serial killers. Um, 
Well, so, yeah, but it's not but, John, you know, John Wayne Boyd, you know, and, and you know, I'm okay with that. True. You know, as long as I'm not okay. going with John Wayne serial killer. Although, yeah. Okay. But any, any PR is good PR, as we say in our business. So <laughs> maybe an association with serial killers is not all bad, you know. I'll to, I'll, let me check with the PR folks. They might they might like that. All right. Yeah. The last idea, I think, we just change your religion, man. I, I think the um, open theology that you you and Greg Boyd share right. um, is adding to the confusion. So I'm going to send you some brochures for Scientology and Hare Krishna. So just take a look at them. See what you think. Okay. I'll, you know. I'm, you know, I, I will, I will engage them with an open mind, if you will. Yeah, good. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be open. You don't even have to believe it. We just, just marketing, man. I'm here. Okay. For you. Help, well, you help know, me that, help you. That's, that's not too much different. You know, that, that's not all that different from, you know, the point, uh, the way things go these days anyway, with, uh, yeah. you know, um, public personalities, especially religious you figures. You think Falwell believes in Christianity? <laughs> I think uh, Falwell believes in Falwell, you know, and, right, you know, see. I mean, there's, there's something to be said for that. But then again, yeah. on the other hand, you know, the object of his own belief is really kind of insufficient, you know, if, if you know what I mean. I do. But also there's, he doesn't have someone who has the almost exact same name to compete with. So, you know, yeah. So, all right. All right. This, this bit has gone on way too long and I had a list way too long. So, but. I appreciate you, and uh, let's let's keep rocking, man. Yes, and uh, you know, signing off, uh, Floyd Lloyd Boyd. Floyd Lloyd Boyd, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> well, I'm glad we got that taken care of. So, be on the lookout for the next book from Floyd Lloyd Boyd, um, which will I'm thinking it's going to be about uh, Hari Krishna. But um, yeah, so I just baffled to me it was just it was ridiculously close-minded. Uh, you know, I just I I just hated being in the classes, and um, so I had to think at a certain point it's like do I really want my degree to come from here? Right. Uh, so you know, then two years had gone by. I had actually you know gotten in a pretty close relationship with a woman, and then her and I broke up three months before we were supposed to get married. So. I think kind of the mixture of me being unhappy there and then having this wedding fall apart, I said, you know, I think it's time for me to go get a fresh start somewhere else. Um, so that's when I moved out to Southern California to attend Fuller. Um, and I mean, I'd say compared to the two schools I, from Minnesota, Fuller was actually, I mean, I could say Fuller was perfect, but I think if you're going to do an evangelical seminary, it was actually like you could have a discussion on just about any topic. Right. And, you know, the professor would respect you and the class would give you the space to do it, you know, and you could truly like explore some of these other ideas. Right. Um, and so, you know, and then that was there. I, I, when I was at Bethel, I actually met someone from the American Baptist Church. I never totally heard of it, but, you know, he made it sound like it was this really progressive group of Baptists. So, uh, you were actually on his podcast, but when I first moved out here, I, I lived in Montebello, and I literally just typed in on the American Baptist webpage my new zip code and said, what's the nearest church? And it was Evergreen Baptist, uh, uh, Ken Fong. Pastor. Ken Fong, right. 
Yeah, so I attended, you know, and he was great. I mean, he, uh, you know, I, I went in there and, you know, I think I stuck out, stood out like a sore thumb. I mean, you know, if you viewers can't see me, I'm about 6'1", uh, 280 pounds, white guy. Um, <laughs> so I think in a church that was primarily Asian, I, you know, I, I looked. Um, but, you know, Ken was great. He walked right up to me. He said, hi. I said, hey, I just moved here from Minneapolis. He said, hey, let's get lunch. Um, and... Uh, you know, and, and I enjoyed my time at Evergreen. Um, and, you know, at, at first I thought, okay, maybe I could find a home doing ministry in the American Baptist. Like, it seemed like more open-minded than what I had seen with certainly the assemblies, certainly, um, you know, the, the Baptist General Conference, which is what Bethel was a part of. Um, but it didn't really hit me until I graduated just how much the denomination was arguing over LGBT acceptance. Right. And, um, and it was even, you know, it's kind of, this is a little inside baseball, but I mean, the American Baptist had like an LA region and then a Southern California region. Southern California region kind of surrounded the LA region. And the Southern California region actually left the denomination because, you know, a few churches in New England had gay pastors or whatever. And so that was just too much for them to accept that this could even exist in the same space, you know, the same country as them. Yeah. Kind of. Just want to pause here real quick to give a shout out to Ken Fong, um, the former pastor of Evergreen. Uh, I think he still works at Fuller Seminary, but I know Ken. I've been on his podcast, Asian America. And I do want to acknowledge that, you know, we're about to talk about the cost of standing up for what you believe in in the face of evangelical culture. And Ken lost a lot of his congregation when he was even considering being um, affirming of LGBTQIA people as Christians and eventually did become affirming. And uh, it was at great cost. And so Ken is a part of our Facebook group and I consider him an ally in the cause for Asian American identity, social justice, and yes, LGBTQIA rights. Okay, back to Brent. And so, um, you know, as I was finishing up at Fuller, um, that's, you know, kind of where it led me to where I am now, is I uh, ran into a Teach for America uh, recruiter. And, um, you know, this idea of teaching in an urban area for two years and then going on to whatever, you know, career path I was interested in seemed really interesting to me. I was interested in doing urban ministry. Um, I was a little, you know, a lot of my friends had been really on the ball their senior year getting, um, getting the ordination stuff going. I just, when I was a student there, I was also managing a restaurant in Pasadena. I was doing my church internship. I was just so busy. I didn't have time. You know, <laughs> like I look back on the schedule I had. I mean, it's like I go to class in the morning. I'd go in the early afternoon and, you know, either read at a coffee shop or go to the library. Then I'd go manage this restaurant at night. I'd go home. I'd fall asleep. I'd get up and do it again. Um, I was just so busy. Um, so I didn't, you know, get any of my ordination stuff put together while I was a senior at Fuller. And so um, I thought I needed something to do for a couple of years until I could get all that organized. Um, cause you know, that's a, it's a whole process. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, 
you know, I guess. But what it started to happen was, is I did get all that, you know, after, you know, it's hot a couple of years, I did get all that put together. And, um, you know, I did start reaching out to different regions and different churches and different regional leaders and saying, like, hey, I was interested in doing ministry. And, I mean, it was, I mean, I'd be like, hi, my name's Brent. And then the, the regional minister would be like, what's your statement on LGBT inclusion? <laughs> oh, shit. And it was yeah. like, whoa, I can't, barely got my last name out. It, just, <laughs> it felt very abrasive. And um, I think I kind of had this vision. A few of us at Fuller kind of did where we'd be kind of like some of the pastors we'd read about in the civil rights movement, right? Where it's like, well, maybe we don't tell our church everything how we really feel. And then hope to move them into a more gracious direction. Um, and I just kind of, I had a student who was really struggling with how to come out to her family and scared of how her family is going to respond. Yeah. And I just kind of, it was so weird. It was just, I woke up one morning and I just said, what am I doing? You know, <laughs> why am I a part of this? Yeah. Um, and why am I doing this? And I thought, why am I going to try and, you know, I mean, it just, every regional director was being so protective of it. And it, it hit a point where like the only, only region that was really even accepting my calls was all the way over in Rochester, New York. And I thought, am I really going to like go to the other side of the country? Because that was the one region that, you know what I mean? Like, had a more open mind towards this. I thought it just, it, I, it just, it, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. So I went the, uh, you know, I went the route that a lot of us evangelicals go is uh, I went Episcopalian. Yep. Uh, so in one of your last episodes, you talked about All Saints. My wife and I attended All Saints for about a month. Yeah. Uh, but we were living in Long Beach and driving from Long Beach past yeah. me, and it was kind of That's a long way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So then we found a, a church in uh, Long Beach called St. Luke's Fiscal Church, um, and we liked it. It was a very it was a very open church. Uh, had a large LGBT community. I really liked it. Did a shower program for the homeless, uh, which you know I thought was cool. Is putting its money where its mouth was, and you know I have nothing negative to say about it. It was a really great church. We still have a lot of friends from there. Yeah. Um, and I think, like I said, in that evangelical path, it was kind of that last place I needed to go. Yeah. Before. You know, I think just kind of giving up on it altogether. Yeah, <laughs> yeah me know? too. And it was the last exit for me too. It was, uh, yeah, nothing bad yeah, to say about just, All Saints, and, but it was it was just a nice way to end <laughs> my faith journey. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's, you know, so, you know, you talk about this whole idea or, you know, of deconstruction and people where your faith starts to fall apart. And, you know, in seminary, like the more you learn about this stuff, the more, I mean, it really... You know, I think about when I was a kid, you know, the thing that really brought me into the faith and even like where I talked about leaving Lutheran churches or synod to go to this evangelical free church was this evangelical free church. I went to like a, a lock in, you know, where they keep you up all night and you play sports at night and games. And then like at three in the morning, you got to listen to a sermon. Right. And I mean, they got up there and like told a group of us, like 15, 16 year old kids that we were all going to hell. You know, and like would have one of the kids like put his finger under a match and like, you know, see how hot that is. Do you want that for all eternity? You know, kind of this thing. And I had such a profound fear of that. And yeah, well, who I, like, wouldn't? Part of I mean, that's, that's terrifying. 
Yeah, and part of me feels like I should be more angry about it that they were saying that to kids, but it's like they genuinely believed it. You know, so like I'm not happy that they did, but you know, it was it felt real to them. You know. But yeah. then, you know, you go to seminary and you're reading about these verses that they're talking about, and it's like, well, it's really unclear if Jesus is talking about hell at all. Right. And you know, you read about people like Origen and all that who are more universalists or even yeah. Wesley and you're Wait a minute. Yeah. Like this hasn't been the understanding of everyone in the church. Like this, this is an understanding of some people in the church, you know, or you look at something like inerrancy, this idea that the Bible doesn't have errors. That only came around in like the 1700s. Right. Um, you know, and that was, you know, the whole concept of evangelicalism doesn't even really make any sense until at least the invention of the printing press. It's like, well, this has only been around for a couple hundred years in church history, or the idea of the rapture. I mean, yeah. that started by like Darby in the 1700s. Like, yeah, as an you know, English really teacher, come... I, I don't even think Americans today have the reading skills necessary to read the Bible. <laughs> they can, <laughs> well, they can, they can phonetically sound out the words, but as as for what reading is, close reading is, critical reading is, no, most most Americans cannot cannot read the bible other than the few clobber verses that they you know they use every day um well you know that's the other part is that you know as i began studying it more and like these verses that you'd hear that'd be connected to one idea or another right i mean i feel like the one that kind of famously gets thrown around is like you know is it uh, philippians four thirteen that i can do all things I through christ all faith. things like that's not a it's really not even a motivational verse. It's saying no. more like, hey, you can put up with tough times, you know? Yeah. No, my <laughs> students, when they would throw that at me, I'd say, you can't fly. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, that I mean, that to me is like where things really, it's like, well, wait a minute. This isn't how this has worked yeah. the whole time. Right. No, like, you like know, these the are f- all football players put put it on their towel. You know, at USC and UCLA football players, I'll have their f- Philippians 413 <laughs> towels as if to say, you know, I can make this tackle because of Jesus. You know, that's that's, yeah, not, it's just, that's not what the verse was for. <laughs> no, and it's just, or, you know, even like, or something like original sin, right? Where that was an Augustinian idea. Before that, that wasn't, yeah. and, you know, that to me was one of the other, like this idea. And I guess this is where like things really started to fall apart for me is that I was really learning more about the Jewish scriptures. Right. And it's this idea that Christians just kind of came in like, nope, this is we're going to tell you how you're supposed to interpret it. Right. And we're going to tell the people that have written it, that have been interpreting it for thousands of years. Well, this is the right way to do it. And to me, that just it spells a certain amount of hubris. That I had a really hard time. (laughs) You give us a hard time for being white and being American and being in control. And when you live under a situation like that constantly uh, and then. You ask me, you know, whether I approve of violence. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening right now. And you know what? We need a space where we can debrief some of it and deconstruct. If you've been looking for a POC-centered podcast that engages with intersectionality, religion, critical race theory, and some hip-hop culture, then you need to check out Profane Faith. I'll be your host, Daniel Whitehodge, and we go in every other week. So check us out wherever you find your podcasts or check us out at whitehodgepodcasts.com to see what other platforms we're on. Cool? Aye. Peace.
And then uh, 2016 came, you know, or 2015, I guess. And, uh, you know, that reality TV show host is running for president. And my first gut instinct was there is no way evangelicals are going to go with this guy. I thought they, you know, and even... Oler, the president of Southern Seminary, the big Southern Baptist Seminary in Kentucky, said, if I, you know, endorse this guy, uh, you know, I need to apologize to Bill Clinton. And I thought back to all those sermons I heard in high school about Bill Clinton and everything. How how important it was for the president to have moral fortitude. And I mean, I can't tell you how many sermons I had to sit through where that was what the pastors talked about. I mean, I'd be up at, you know, I went to, to Jesus camps. And I would sit through so many sermons on that. And I thought, there is no way. I thought evangelicals would be horrified to be called hypocritical on this. Nope. And it just blew my mind. They didn't care at all. They were just like, nope. yeah, okay. Everyone's a little hypocritical. I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, God, God uses imperfect people is the other argument I heard. Um, oh, they, you know, and, and this is what blows my mind right now is they're trying to like go back on it. They're like, well, yeah. you know, we got to. It's like no, no. You had tons of people, yeah, um, saying this was problematic, and you guys said no, this is what we want, and you know you can't say you were tricked. Um, yeah, but that, so I guess that's where like you and I would eventually cross paths. Is at that point, then I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like they don't even believe what they're saying, you know, <laughs> and and they'll just switch it on a dime. Yep. Because of a reality TV show host. And that's where I got more like, right, this group's actively harmful. Right. Um, and that's where I started discovering more of, you know, people like you or Christy Stroop or, or Blake Chastain, like people in this ex-evangelical, I think that's where I, that's where I would have interacted with Tori Glass, like more of this ex-evangelical space of people who had left and had all the same feelings I did. And, you know, I really look back at that. At North Central, I had all these questions, but I didn't feel like there was anyone I had to to talk about it. Right. And, you know, it's a lonely feeling to try and leave your faith, to try and leave all your social connections, you know, your family had raised you in, right. everything else, if you don't feel like other people are having the same questions, if you feel kind of alone in it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's even, you know, they try to present this idea of, well, people who are leaving are just looking for an excuse to sin. Right. Um. It's like my moral system is no different, you know, than it was when I was in the faith, you know, for the most part, right? I mean, I'm not living some grandiose immoral life. (laughs) I think I I lead quite a boring life, to be honest. Um, But, uh, and that's where I got, like, interested in this idea of, like, helping others find their way out. And that's that's where I would have met you, is because... I just wonder how many other people are having questions about this. And so, you know, and even on social media, so this is where I talked about TikTok, right? I mean, I've interacted with so many evangelical people on there yeah. or on Facebook. Uh, you know, I, I help manage a group called The Life After. So come find us on social media. Come find me on TikTok at WLMZ or yeah. come on Facebook and go to The Life After. Yeah, I'll um, put it all in the show notes so people can click on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, like, and or, you know, I, I don't know. Well, how much longer Twitter is going to be gone? But <laughs> it seems to be hanging on. It's a, it's a little, little unhinged, it's but but it's still still going as of today, November twenty eighth. <laughs> I was going to say, by the time this airs, I'm wondering twenty twenty two. 
Uh, but I'm here on Mr. BW. Two um, weeks, two weeks from now, people are gonna be listening to us laughing, like "Ha ha!" Twitter was like burned to the ground. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this is kind of where I'm guessing. Yeah, we'll see. Though. I mean, we could be wrong, but um, but uh, and and as I got to like really start talking to people, I mean, that's so many people have similar experiences where I did, where you know you pick up on this hypocrisy of it, or yeah. you know see the hypocrisy with how women are treated, or you see the hypocrisy with how LGBT people are treated. Or you see the hypocrisy on like all the things they said in the nineties and then supporting a guy like Trump and, you know, or you get into deeper questions of, well, these things, you know, you have a baby throwing a tantrum or a toddler throwing a tantrum and they say, well, this is because they're born evil. And it's like, no, it is like, come on. Like, no, it is <laughs> like, it's a, it's, it's an infant or, you know, toddler that's trying yeah. to make no, sense of their emotions. Like, babies, not babies are kind of evil, though, uh, in a different way. But um, <laughs> I guess uh, we I don't have three. Two. So yeah, you have three. Speaking of experience, they um, they were evil. Yeah, they're pretty evil. We wondered if the third one was the Antichrist. Um, <laughs> we're kind of hoping he was, because you know what a privilege you know to be the parents what a privilege. of the, that's a parents good place to be. Um, I'm gonna <laughs> let let me ask you this because I asked. Um, Blake Chastain the same thing like everything that you saw when, whether it was treatment of LGBTQ or treatment of women um, racism you know everyone sees everyone can see the same things it's not like you had a unique view of it what but most of the people don't alter their worldview because of it you know they'll dig in harder and find their verses that they need to support whatever point of view they had. What was different about you that you were in a place to see these things and challenge the systems that you were living in? So let me throw this, let me throw this theory by you. And because I, I wrote this in my notes to talk to you about. Hmm. Um, so I, I think there's a little bit of how evangelicalism is biased to pick up on people that aren't going to question them. Right. So, um, are, are you, are you a Star Trek fan? I am. There, the, the, my, my favorite episode, uh, is two episodes called Chain of Command, where, uh, Captain Picard is captured by, uh, the Cardassian. Yeah. And he's like torturing him. And he there's, makes there's, him, there are, there are three lights one. Um, but yeah, the four lights. Four right? lights. Yeah. Yeah. He wants him to say there are five. Right. And so, you know, I, because that, that to me was like where I'd look at like one of my first steps towards deconstruction was, and it's funny, so when I was a student at North Central, but the presentation was at Bethel. It, it would be a 25-minute drive. Um, and it was on like why Noah's Ark was a true historical event. And I, I just kind of wanted to go to like refresh the talking points because, you know, that's what I'd grown up in my youth group. I'd gone to all – I was a – worldview kids so like I, I got all this indoctrination into how to be a good uh conservative christian nationalist type mm -hmm. and you know so i'm listening to this presentation about why noah's ark is a little historical event and it's not even like i was studying biology i mean i was studying pastoral studies but i was yeah. just reading i was just reasoning more and thinking more and i'm like wait none of this makes any sense yeah how in the hell is a koala bear gonna go from a mountain in turkey to australia you know, like, yeah. or how does the polar, you know, like, it's just yeah. this idea that all these animals were together in one big boat and then just kind of separated all around the world. And 
you, you think about the amount of water it would have taken. It just, it physically is impossible. Like, yeah. in, in that's, you know, I was taking classes on it and it wasn't even like what the professors were saying, but it's just, you read the commentaries and all that. And it's like, clearly this is a myth, right? And the different cultures around there had similar myths and it was something right. they had made up and it was something, you know, it wasn't meant to be a true historical event, but everything about the professor I had in that class was fired. Uh, by my school for basically not saying that the Noah's Ark event was a literal historical event. And he's one of two people I know that have been fired from an evangelical college for that very reason, that they do not think that Noah's Ark is a literal event. And I don't know how you get a PhD, you know, you, you spend that much time in academic study of the Old Testament. Yeah. And... and draw the conclusion that that's a real event. Like it just, it wouldn't make any sense. No. Uh, and I think there's a lot of that. Like if you're going to get into evangelical academia, you know, there's a lot of things that you just, a reasonable person shouldn't be able to accept, but these institutions are demanding that they sign this bottom line. that says that this yeah. is what you believe. And so I think in a sense, it's, you know, they're kind of weeding out the type of people that are going to be like, no, this is nonsense. This doesn't make sense. Right. And, and so that's where I think I was, but you know, so I look at it that way. Like if I can get someone that, you know, has a PhD in, in old Testament literature studies and has studied this academically and understands how ancient myths works, understands how ancient literature works. And I can get them to sign in the dotted line that one of those myths is a literal historical event. Then yeah. When I come back a year later and say, Donald Trump's the guy for president. That person's not going to question that. Right. There are five lights. Yeah. yeah. They're like five lights. And they're like, yeah, okay, I guess, you know, and that that's where I ultimately think evangelicalism screwed up in the last, you know, I'd say 15, 20 years is, is so many people I know at the, the professors I had or pastors I knew or fellow students I had have been kicked out of evangelicalism, you know, kicked out of the schools, pulled the lead you know, told to go somewhere else or at different, they either like went on to more like mainline schools or mainline denominations, or they've left altogether. I know very few of like my colleagues that are still in it. Um, especially like the ones that I thought that were, you know, the, the deepest thinkers about it, like they're long gone. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say, I mean, I know a couple of really high quality people that are in ministry, but I mean, the vast majority of people said we're out of here. Like, this isn't making sense. Yeah. So, you know, and I think there was some of that, you know, with the recession. So many people started, you know, I think these evangelical schools were trying to compete with your more mainline Protestant schools. So, you know, a school like APU or Biola is, you know, trying to compete with an Occidental or, um, you know, maybe real hard, but <laughs> yeah, but I think that's what they, they kind of wanted to. They're saying they are, but they in practice, they are not. Um, but because <laughs> they're trying to weave, they're trying to thread that needle of we're we're a top notch academic institution, but we're still fundamentalist evangelical. Well, but I think like back mutually when, exclusive. There, there was more of that. Like we want to thread this needle, and then I think the recession happened, and people started looking and saying, "Why am I going to spend all this money in a school like this? It's not yeah. worth it." Yeah. So the schools had to consolidate. And, and, you know, then they really had something to fear if a pastor were to say, hey, if you keep telling students to think outside the boxes we gave, right. uh, then we're going to pull our support. We're not going to send our parishioners there anymore. Our church isn't going to donate there anymore. 
Um, but that's, you know, a couple of presses I know that got fired from North Central. Like, that was pretty much what they were fired over, is that they had someone that, you know, a passer that said, hey, we're going to pull support. And maybe in the early 2000s, North Central might have said, well, you know, that's part of what we have to do to be a, you know, academically rigorous school. But then the recession starts and like, oh, we can't do that. Yeah. Uh, but I think they, because I, I look at it like I can't. 81% of white evangelicals backing Trump. I mean, to me, it's just, it, it's just crazy. You know, and I think about that on a recent episode talking about um, someone you knew from InterVarsity mm-hmm. that lost his job for not supporting Donald Trump. Yeah. And yeah. I would I, I would never categorize InterVarsity as that kind of deep fundamentalist. I knew people from InterVarsity. Yeah. Like, so that tells me that, you know, this all got so much more. Because I, I, you know, like, so, you know, if I talk about, like, I had kind of left around, like, 2011, 2012-ish. And I really feel like there's just a different energy even than when I was in. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah, and I think sure. a lot of that had to do with those because people like me were weeded out. Yeah. Because I'm not, you know, just going to sit, you know, there's no universe in which if I was leading a church that I would have said I was okay with a guy like Donald Trump. There's just no, there's no universe where I'd have been okay with that. Yeah. Um, but I've had a lot credit. of people that, oh, yeah. And I've had a lot of people who have told me like, well, yeah, like I'd like to say something, but man, you know, my church would vote me out You'd or in trouble. <coughs> yeah. Or the school I work at would fire me. So if to go I said back to much, this, your Star Trek analogy, you're saying it takes someone like Captain Picard <laughs> to, to, remain steadfast in the truth saying that's for four lights. Yeah. And, 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 and I think, lights. and I think evangelicalism, you know, especially, I mean, you know, maybe it's been doing it before. I mean, that's you read Jesus and John Wayne and maybe this has happened in before, but this is like where I had realized it. I think evangelicalism did everything it could to weed out the type of people that were willing to say that. Right. So the people who were saying there are four lights, they, they shooed them out long ago. Um, and so, you know, they very purposely, I mean, just you think about the insanity of how it happened, right? Because I know enough evangelical people and thinkers that they were going to have a problem with that guy. Um, but then, you know, of all people, Jerry Falwell Jr. seems to be the first to endorse him. Yeah. And then you kind of saw people warm up to him a little bit. Yeah, then, everyone um, seemed to just. Fall, it, it was like they got their marching orders and they said yes, sir, and they all fell in line. Um, well, and he was the president of the largest evangelical school yeah. in the country at that. Oh, Liberty is huge. Yeah, uh, yeah. But you know, and, part, I mean, and his and his father, you know, being the son of. Yeah, I mean, Jerry being Falwell, the son, very um, father. But I mean, yeah. that you know, I mean, and I knew I've known enough people through the evangelical world that have told me rumors about that for years. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like when that got revealed, that wasn't surprising to me at all. <laughs> but, um, right. but the guy kind of led that conversation. I mean, to me, it's still nutty. Or, you know, in the more academic world, I don't know if you're familiar who he is. His name's Wayne Grudem. Mm-mm. He's a, he writes like systematic theology books. And he was, when I was a student at Bethel and Fuller, when I would write a paper and I needed to address a counterclaim, I'd always just look and see if Wayne Grudem talked about this topic. Hmm. Uh, because I found I could disagree with him. I could usually break apart his arguments pretty easily. <laughs> but my professors respected him enough where, you know, I wasn't just, you know, picking Billy Bob. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. And like, and that he kind of became the first prominent evangelical theologian that seemed to back Trump didn't surprise me. So I'm like, of course, that's the kind of guy this guy is, right. you know? <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I, and it, so like I said, I totally thought, oh, they, they'd hate this idea of being called hypocritical. It didn't bother them. And then the whole, you know, when he breaks about grabbing women by the pussy, I thought, okay, yep. like evangelicals are going to be like, we are not doing this. Yep. Um, I thought that was going to be where they're really going to stand up and say, absolutely not. And, you know, I don't have like polling data to back this up. I don't know if it's out there and I could find it. <laughs> I seem to notice, though, just in my own personal anecdotal side, that that's like when many of my evangelical friends came out and said, this is my guy. <laughs> and it was like, what? <laughs> well, and, it was either it was either go all in, put put all the chips in. <laughs> Or admit you were wrong, you know, and no one was going to, none of the evangelicals ever admit they're wrong. So push all you the know. chips in and, and hope your, hope your queen high <laughs> hand uh, holds up because, yeah. Well, and so there were pastors I deeply respected. There were leaders I deeply respected that I saw buying into this guy. And I'm like, so that was kind of where like, some of my last steps in evangelicalism, it's like, well, wait a minute. Like, was I taking moral advice from you the whole time, knowing that this is the kind of person you were looking to for a leader? Like, it kind of caused me to question a little bit of everything. Yeah. But, uh, and again, to your credit, like, you're, you, you, Brent, are such a rare person to have grown up in this and gone to all these schools, and yet you're, you're seeing things that they're not, you know, or, or they're not willing to see. So I, we got to figure out how to get a, make a pill or something. <laughs> a pill to help more see that. I mean, I, yeah. I, you know, I, I think maybe like magic mushrooms or um, something, to, something to ground people into their humanity to see other people, <laughs> not just their own ideology and their own worldview. Um, Cause yeah. Well, I, I, I'm so I you know you're telling this story and it's your story. This is what you lived, but it's incredible to me that you 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 as a white as a straight white man have everything to gain by staying in that world, um, but you have chosen to push back and to to question. Um, that's not a small thing to me. I think that's that's pretty awesome. I appreciate that. I think about this. I said as like a 16, 17 year old kid for a week long in a university uh, for a week long of lectures about how to be this good, you know, Christian nationalist person. And the thing that they would keep going on and on about was this idea of, um, you know, moral relativism, right? And changing your morality based circumstances. And there's a part of me that would love to go back and talk to my 17 year old self and be like, you know, by the time you're 40 years old, literally the only people you're ever going to see making these arguments are going to be evangelical Christians. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, that, you know, we need to change our morality based on the situations that we're in. Yeah. Right. I mean, get a lot of, you know, I feel like there's this weird movement in some of conservative evangelicalism to kind of like re-justify slavery. You know, I think they need to understand how they can still respect Jonathan Edwards. So they're like, well, you know, maybe at that time it wasn't that bad. It's like the only people I'm seeing that are even debating this 
or you know, debating these ideas are evangelical Christians. They're, they're yeah. The only group that I see that has been the moral relativism thing, and it just it, it blows my mind. It, yeah, I, would I mean, they wouldn't know. call it that, right? They would they would have some other term for it, but it is what it oh, is. But, yeah. I I sat for hours in these hot rooms in the summer. Learned like I, it's the exact formulation of like, well, yeah. you know, the, the stuff that they told us not to do, they're doing now. It, yeah. It's just to me, it's flabbergasting. It's like, wow, like, yeah, um, it, it, like I, said, I would I would love to go back and tell my seventeen year old self that, like, yeah. look, this is the only place you're going to see it. Yeah, you're um, not going to believe this, but you're not going to believe this. But the only group doing it are the other yeah. evangelicals. Yeah. And or are evangelicals. And that's, you know, and, and I think that's where I get to this point where it's like, all right, th- this hypocrisy needs to continue to be exposed. Um, just, I think, for the health of the country, I think for the health of that church, I think for the health of the people within it. Um, and, you know, I don't know every which way to do it. I mean, that's where you and I met is I thought if we could start organizing evangelical people together to have conversations about this. But yeah. And that's hard to do. Um, it is. You know, and I try to do it a little bit on social media, and sometimes I get really into it, and other times I get busy. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. It's like, because I just, I, I, I mean, I just, I, I, I become so disgusted with what this has turned into, you know? And yeah. I think there's a little bit of Jesus and John Wayne by DuVay's. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I do think it's, it's kind of been this way, I think, longer than I realized. You know, I mean, we talk about Jerry Fowler. He got the the religious right got its start trying to maintain segregated schools. Right. Right. And that failed. Then they kind of moved over to abortion. To abortion, right. (laughs) And And it's it's like trans people. and. um, Well, and and I can't figure out how people said, okay, we watched Jerry Fowler try to maintain segregation and fail. What's he going to say next so we can follow him into that thing? I mean, that's (laughs) the thing I quite... If if we could figure out how to just open the eyes of people to maybe it's not even open the eyes, but just accept the the possibility that maybe they're on the wrong side Um, for whatever reason, hypocrisy, cognitive dissonance, willful ignorance, who knows, but. Yeah. So Brent and I, we, we've been, we talked about, you know, creating some kind of like class or course curriculum for helping people out of evangelicalism years ago. I think it was before the pandemic, right? We, we were talking. Yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. Then I how feel do like we then get, I... get people to think, to see these things and to, to line up stuff for them to consider? Um, and it's really, yeah. Hard. yeah. <laughs> That, but then I found that became like a gimmick in evangelicalism because then you had like Joshua Harris trying to do that, right? Uh, yeah, which I'm like, yeah. like take every seat. You caused this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, if, if there are Josh Joshua Harris fans on your, uh, I, I don't podcast. think there are. I don't think you'll find many <laughs> people who listen to this podcast. So, but anyway, if, if and you know, if there, there are a couple. A, if there is a way forward. To, to helping because that's why we do all this I think that's why I wanted to do this podcast it's why you and I and, and Heather met to talk about how to support people um, we want to help yeah. people understand <laughs> we want to help people get through and there's various stages of deconstruction you know from the very first oh shit I don't know what I believe to 
well, what, who am I or what, what, how do I develop myself outside of these systems? Um, it's a long process, I guess. And so for a long time is how to, you know, what to do about that. And, you know, like, yeah, I, you know, cause it, like, I, you know, I'd love the idea of having like a group that gets together, you know, weekly or monthly and gets coffee or has drinks and talks it through. And yeah, I think that'd be interesting, but I think, you know, I think I, as you said it to me once is that some, you know, people kind of leave it. They want to be done with it. They don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, the lot, yeah. But, Especially if you deconstructed before all the Twitter and, and the Facebook, you just ran and didn't didn't look back. That's what I did. Well, not um, the weeds on this, but I mean, then also in those spaces, I find there's a lot of internal politics. Well, right? <laughs> uh, there's yeah. There's there's a lot of complaints. The, the, uh, a lot of the, <laughs> the church, but you can't take the yeah. evangelical person. Like they kind of get into the same yeah. Hat- yeah, yeah. No, for um, sure. But I, like, I don't think we should get into that on this. But well, uh, that's, well, that's why I think we should get together and take magic mushrooms and talk about it, or do something mag- psychedelic, like uh, <laughs> change the minds. But anyway, um, until the next party. Until the next party, yeah. And, and like I said, there's someone listening that says, "Hey, I got the perfect idea for how to help." Yeah, yeah. Send, connect- go ahead. Go ahead and contact us because. You know, I, I think I think as a as a straight white guy that I, you know I have no need to start my own podcast. I think enough straight white evangelical <laughs> guys have gotten into that, right? And uh, I appreciate that you're writing a book. I don't yeah. I don't really feel like to do that, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think it takes all kinds, and I think it's, it it yeah. takes all. I think it takes all different methods, and you know, yeah. Um, I think you should write a book, though. You think I should write a book? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone, I think anyone can should write a book as long as, long as you have yeah. your point of view. Um, it doesn't matter that you know that there's a lot of white guys writing books. As long as the books are, you know, you have a point of view and a journey that that has that sheds light on truth. So, I say write. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I'll need I'll need to collaborate with you, the writing professor, because okay, even. Yeah. I, I right, thought well, of how to write paragraph essays. And, and. <laughs> Ugh, yeah, no. Don't write a five paragraph essay. Um, but yeah, anyway, <laughs> thanks for coming. All right, Scott. Me. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciated this. It's fun to tell my story, and I hope this creates a good uh, episode for you. Of course. I hear someone like Brent expressing doubt that he. A white cishet man should create content like a podcast or write a book. And I totally understand what he's saying. Um, We've seen, at times, white men can take over conversations and spaces, talking over BIPOC, queer, and women's voices. But I value the perspectives of my enlightened white friends. Period. We all need to speak out. We need spaces where our voices are equal, valued, for sure, but I think white voices and platforms are crucial to progress. It can be tricky and complicated, but it's not impossible. You don't need to be Captain Picard of the Starship Enterprise to have an effect on the world, or or the universe, I guess. Um, You just need to be a Brent Walmsley who is willing to speak truth to power and to care about his fellow humans. Okay, so maybe it's not 
so complicated. Or maybe it is. It's both. Anyway, thanks to Brent for coming on Chapel Probation. We'll be back with another episode next week. And we'll have another After Hours episode uh, in a couple days on Thursday. So we'll see you then. This episode was brought to you by alcohol. It's not a gateway drug to like meth or cocaine or anything like that. But it could open your mind to new possibilities. In moderation, of course. Too much and the possibilities could get you into trouble. So I've heard.